truth, honor, loyalty, character. Welcome to the Long Green Line podcast. This is Matty Arnold guiding you through conversations about Coach Joe Newton's life, legacy, and his impact on the eternity of coaching. We're going to be digging into masculinity, love, and of course, how cross-country is like life. Welcome, everybody. We are here interviewing Matt and Eric Detman, also known as twin number one and twin number two from the 2005 York High School cross-country championship team. Also the stars of the Long Green Line and the captains of the year that we filmed. I haven't seen you guys in a long, long time. I think the last time we were in person together was at the U.S. Olympic trials in 2008. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Okay, so we were, you were both enrolled at University of Oregon in Eugene and the U.S. Olympic trials was held there and we got to see a couple races, got to hang out, meet your teammates. So why don't we start with Eric? We'll do it in alphabetical order. Eric, what are you doing now? And give us the, the shorthand of how you landed that new hat that you're wearing. Sure, yeah. So I live in Portland, Oregon. I work for an education technology company as my main job, but, but kind of where my true passion lies is with my high school cross country team. So. I'm the head uh, track and field and cross country coach at Lincoln High School, which is in the heart of Portland, Oregon, and kind of just kind of walked into it by chance. I had an ex-teammate from the University of Oregon who had asked me one day when she saw me at the track if I'd be interested in being a part of the coaching, the coaching team at Lincoln, and, and we happened to live just, I don't know, three or four blocks away. So I was super interested. Uh, I met with the head coach at the time about you know coaching and, and what my role might look like and she thought that I was knowledgeable enough and outgoing enough and had some of the other qualities she was looking for and, and hired me on the spot and, and nine years later here I am. So you've been nine years as head coach or what was the lineage there? Nine total years this is my third year as the as the head cross-country coach this will be my fifth year as head track and field coach this upcoming spring. Awesome all right Matt let's hear your your your, your life update real quick and 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah, so I, I'm also in tech sales. So I work for a technology company in downtown Portland, and I've been doing that. It'll be five years uh, next month for me. And then from a coaching perspective, I started coaching at what they call the Lincoln Cluster out in Oregon. And so it's the, the program, it's the middle schools that feed into one cluster, then then eventually they graduate and they would attend Lincoln High School. So it's the program that would feed into Eric's high school. Middle school, you, you, you coach multiple middle school students and that they compete as one cluster of a team? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I believe Eric may know this better. I think it's like five or six schools will filter into like one program. And then eventually, you know, they would graduate to the high school level. And then I've been, I've been doing that for, I believe this is my fifth year for both track and cross country. Okay, so I'm going to table all of the coaching conversation to the back end so we can be more chronological from the beginning. So in 2005, you both ran in the state meet. Let's go back all the way to the viral infection. Can we start with that part? Um, so it became a very dramatic part of the film, and I believe it was a dramatic part of your lives. But do you want to just give us the details, like your side of that, or your perspective on that, that viral infection? A lot of it, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of it came primarily from stress. You know, obviously there was a lot going on 
with the house burning and, and some of the other stuff that, that was going on with our team. But there was also a lot that was going on personally for Matt and I from a standpoint of, you know, some of those individuals were our closest friends and we were kind of lumped into that category and some of the behind the, behind the scenes stuff that was going on. It just took a really negative toll on us and we weren't sleeping and, you know, we were stressed all the time and we're struggling to find happiness in a lot of things. And just, you know, the body just kind of, kind of wigged out and, and we were just sick for the really and truly the second half um, of that whole season and, and couldn't really seem to get out of it. I remember, you know, shortly after the state meet before Foot Locker, one of those nights I went to the hospital because I had all these different things that were going on and it just like it seemed like something that wouldn't go away and, and just wouldn't get better no matter how much how much we, tr- we you know we tr- we tried to to take care of some of that stuff. Okay, and so I guess let's rewind a little bit more. I guess since the it sounds like the viral was not the so let's go talk about the source of the stress. The fire was a source of stress for pretty much everyone, and that happened before school started, somewhere in August, I believe. Correct. Or some, yeah, August. So just tell us about what what happened. How did that stress build and build and build? Because certainly there was. A time in the summer where that happened, the, the fire, but the, the the house was burned down. They were classmate teammates of your all, you all, and I know even like there were ridicule from other teams that were kind of harassing you guys and that kind of thing. So Matt, why don't you t- tackle that question? Yeah, I think I mean it, you know it, it it started in August, and I think Eric and I had caught wind of it as as well as some other people had, had caught wind of it fairly early on and so I think it was like this internal struggle of like what do we do with this information you're like in high school you've like never dealt with a situation like that before you're like in the midst of like this incredible you know summer of training and you kind of just get like hit with this like situation that like you would never have imagined like your friends doing right I mean I think you know there were there were like moments leading up to it where I think there was like some joking around about various things but it was like one of those things like there's never going to be any follow-through with it and then you know unfortunately there was follow-through with it and then I think it like I think it took a toll on a lot of people of like what do we do and I think eventually if I remember correctly it was like early season we were like on a training run and I don't remember if it was like Brian or somebody else was like sort of vaguely talking about it. And like Mr. Kern was like right there and he like pulled someone aside. I don't, I don't remember if it was us or Brian, was it Eric? Yeah. And it was like, okay, you got to tell me what happened. Like what is going on here? And so I think, again, it's just like one of those situations that like as a high schooler, like you would never envision dealing with it. And I think like Eric said, like that, the stress of that was, was just like really difficult and, and I think, like, not only was, was it difficult because of, like, the, the team aspect of things with, like, York and just, like, the culture that, like, Mr. Newton, you know, had created kind of felt like it was going down the drain at that point, at least for me. But then I also think, like, from a personal standpoint, like, the pressure of, you know, trying to run well to, like, earn a scholarship to run in college and, like, continue this, like, goal that, you know, we had both had at that time. So I think, it, again, it just comes back to it was just, like, it was just difficult to manage and, like, we had no idea what to do in that situation. And we were trusting like adults around us to make the best decisions for us. And, and I think that's where, I think that's where some of the issues came up too. Like, cause I remember Matt, you know, like when we got pulled into the principal's office with those police officers and they were asking us all these questions and we kind of, we just played coy to it initially. And we're like, yeah, we don't really know much. Like we've just heard this, we just heard that. And 
eventually they're like, listen, like if you guys, we know, you know, if you don't tell us, like you'll be impl uh, implicated in this. And, you know, we're 17, 18 year old kids. Like we don't really know what that means. And, you know, when you're told that you're potentially going to get in a lot of trouble for something you didn't do, if you don't talk, that was really hard. And then to take that even a step further, you know, then we had to write written statements and we were guaranteed that those statements were not going to be used. Our names wouldn't be attached to it. And then they were. And I think they were sent to, you know, sent to that family, I don't know, days later. And then everybody finds out or at least thinks that Matt and I are like the snitches. Like that was really hard. And then you had coaches like the guy at Fenwick High School who then went after us and went after York about, you know, they're protecting the Detmans because those are the guys, the best ones on the team and blah, blah, blah. And he's spreading all these rumors that we were actually the ones who burned down the house. Like it was all that stuff combined coupled with kids at meet saying stuff and kids on our own team saying stuff like it was hard. And I think, you know, that was stressful. That was really, really stressful. And so let's just talk about the other layers of stress you guys were holding at the time. You were returning as the number two and number three runners in the state. And that the year before you're one and two. We were the All right. But McNamara got first, right? And you guys were second and third the year before. And so you're seniors, this is your big year, you're the captains of the team, this is Coach Newton's 50th year, this is, and, and you were like hot college prospects. And so you had all of that in that beginning of the, or begin, end of the summer before 2005. And, and then, like, talk a little, tell us a little more about the, the process. Like, it sounds like you were kind of gaslit into writing some statement that then they used against your will. Did you have lawyers present when they were uh, interrogating or was that? Yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't have any lawyers present during that, that period. I forget. Ex I mean, we did have a lawyer at one point. I forget it exactly like when that got involved. It was, it was when, when like, like the, the people, people on message board started going after us. That's right. Yeah. And so then, yeah, we ended up getting a lawyer and I, I honestly, it's, it's hard to remember like what exactly happened after we got a lawyer. I think like things sort of started to cool down, at least from like banter that we would hear from other teams and whatnot. Eric, you can correct me. I, I'm just forgetting on that piece, but we did eventually have to lawyer up because we were just felt like we were just getting something from like every single angle, whether it was coaches, teammates, other runners, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Yeah, and this was 2005, so this was before, really before, like, Facebook and the iPhone really became a part of anybody's life. So the message boards, I'm assuming, was, like, diestat.com. It was probably the only real major cross-country message board at the time. There was also some stuff on let'srun.com as well, I remember. Okay. But there was no runner space yet. There was no... What's ESPN, ESPN Rise, none of that stuff Yeah, existed. I think there was like Illinois Prep Top Times had a message board at that point. I think there was some stuff going on there. But it was primarily, you know, probably like 99% was diced at. And so it sounds like there were coaches that were trying to get in your head. Were there a lot of uh, other athletes that were trying to get in your head too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we would run, even in, like in the spring, I remember we'd be running a race and people would be shouting stuff about like the house burning. It was all the time. I mean, it was like every single race, kids were shouting stuff. That was hard. And did and did the also? I'm, I'm assuming the same type of or it was probably worse behavior happening online. 
Yeah, because yeah. people could hide behind a screen name. So, yeah, I mean, you could just throw insults, like whatever, you know, whatever you wanted to say, you could, you could pretty much get away with. I mean, honestly, like the nice thing, maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but like one of the things about races is like, fortunately, after 100 meters, like we weren't around a lot of people, right? And I think like, at least in my opinion, I feel like a lot of the top guys in the state, like sided with us on it and i don't think that they thought we had any involvement and i remember them being like super supportive through the whole thing and so like after you know the first hundred meters of a race there's that separation you know the front pack and the middle pack and everything else and like those guys didn't say anything but like the people online you know that could hide behind a screen name and just type something out and start spreading rumors i mean i i remember there was a rumor that was like spread online and i think this might actually be the fenwick thing as well where like Eric and I had like, you know, burned this house down. And then the the three guys that, you know, ended up getting charged, like went back to like, look at our work. And then like the cops caught them and they like took the fall for it because they were our friends and they wanted to make sure that like, we didn't get in trouble. Like when you like think back to it, you're just like, how does anybody believe this? Like, how does that like a viable option? They believe it because it was like a coach. It, that was the Fenway coach who said that it like, so you, and, it, and this is a guy who had been in control of that program, you know, for a number of years, similar to Mr. Newton. If he says something like that, like, why wouldn't you believe him? And there was enough of those situations that, it, that you know, that's when we got lawyers involved. But it, I mean, it was ridiculous for, a, you know, at that point, I don't know, 50, 60 year old man to <laughs> attack a bunch of 18 year old kids. Yeah, that was that was really sad. It sounds like it has like a lot of the trappings of like a modern conspiracy theory yeah. unfolding. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, way, to that's a good way to put it. <laughs> you just get a little seed of an idea by one reputable source, and then it just all of a sudden becomes truth, and then that gets spread virally in the internet. Yep. Wow. So we'll come back to that. I want to talk more about Mr. Newton. When did you meet this man? Eighth grade, summer camp. Because our dad had done a, a school sports assignment on Maria Cicero, knew that we liked running, met Mr. Kern while he was shooting photos of Maria Cicero for the magazine. And uh, Mr. Kern was like, well, if they're into running, they should, they should come to the summer camp. And, and so they signed the two of us up. And, you know, we, I think it was going into the summer of eighth grade or the summer going into eighth grade, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah that was the first time that we had met him. And you guys were living in Villa Park at the time? Yes. And what was your coach's name, Pat? Pete Conley. Pete, Pete Conley. So Pete Conley was your coach. We interviewed him. And Pete knew when you guys were little that you had something. And what, how did he know that? For sports at the uh, middle school that we went to or the grade school that we, we went to, it started in fifth grade. And so Pete used to do this thing for fourth grade. It was like the fourth grade Olympics. And it was kind of just like, a, honestly, it just like was like a tryout. And so he would just set up a bunch of events and like, people would do the long jump and the high jump and sprints and whatever it was. And so we had this like little, like I, maybe like 180 meter track in the parking lot. And he'd be like, okay, like let's run like one lap around it. And then we'd do that. And he'd be like, okay, let's run two laps around it. And then Eric and I were like, all the other kids were like, like this is too much. And Eric and I were like more, more, more. And we just kept, we're like, okay, let's run around the school. Like let's run around the gym. Let's run around the block. And I think at that point, he's like, okay, we like, there's something here. Like these guys, they may not be as fast, you know, foot speed wise as some of these other kids, but like they can keep this pace for a significantly longer period of time. And, and I think it just kind of evolved from there. And he like set us up with like a pretty, a pretty like smart 
like consistent summer training plan. And I think like once, once we, you know, started adhering to some of those things, like that's really where things took off between like fifth grade and sixth grade, especially fifth grade. I mean, I think we were, we'd placed pretty well at like our district meet. I think Eric, I think your highest finish was second. My highest finish was third, but like going into sixth grade after we like kind of worked out a little bit over the summer, I mean, we were like first and second and winning by like a hundred meters or something along those lines. And so like Pete, Pete definitely like noticed something and yeah, and put us on like this pretty basic training plan and it like paid dividends quickly. So what I remember from your dad, didn't you go to visit your grandparents in Michigan? Yeah, we used to spend the whole summer up there. Okay, so did Pete give you guys some training and you guys continued that training together and there was something, some special road, I forget the name of it. Bible Camp Road. Oh, Bible Camp Road. So you guys would, that was your main training route? It was pretty simple. So it was two days a week was running four miles. And so that was Bible Camp Road. And then two days a week was running 10 40 meter dashes. And I don't, I don't know if there was like another day as well, but there was also like some sit-ups and push-ups and stuff. But like, yeah, Bible Camp Road was like that main road that we got good on. <laughs> okay. So you guys competed, you know, just basic middle school team on the team at your school and not a lot of like club training or anything none and then eighth grade and then how did you end up at york so we attended mr newton's like ryan camp and so we knew that we wanted to you know be with a program that took it seriously and i think my parents were interested in moving at the time the york was under construction for like a brand new building and a brand new indoor track. And I think their outdoor track had like been resurfaced like two years before that. So it just was like sort of like the perfect timing of all of these different things. My parents trusted Mr. Kern and Mr. Newton based on the summer training plans that, you know, of working with them. And I think they like understood and realized that like we were talented and that we like loved the sport and they wanted to like give us every opportunity to like explore those dreams and like figure it out. Cool. So Eric, what was ninth grade like? Ninth grader was awesome because Mr. Newton was really good about bringing us along slowly. You know, I think he gets a bit of a rap for like just running kids into the ground, but he was really awesome with Matt and I where, you know, we were doing a quarter or half the workouts as the varsity kids, you know, from a training run standpoint, mileage standpoint, like we weren't doing nearly as much as, I mean, even remotely as much as anybody else. In York, we, you know, so this is going to sound funny because we want a state title. We weren't that good our freshman year. Like we were coming off a fourth place finish. It was the first time in a number of years that York hadn't won a trophy at the state meet. We weren't super talented, or at least on paper, we weren't super talented coming back. And one thing I appreciated about Mr. Newton is he let Matt and I run at the freshman level for certain races. And that was awesome. And it's something I like to do now with my coaching because, you know, as a youngster, it's really important for kids to learn how to win and to be successful for a number of reasons. One, you know, just from like a sportsmanship standpoint, it's great. But, but from an expectation standpoint, it's really helpful. And in those first couple of meets, I ran strictly at the freshman level. And then I was moved up to the varsity. I think, Matt, you started with varsity right away, but we still had a couple of freshman only meets that you ran at. And he was awesome about, you know, giving us those opportunities to be successful, to win. And you saw that with other guys like Octane and, and Fry and, 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 and Salkin and, and some of these other kids who came up, you know, after us. He was really good about getting those young, young kids some experience racing against kids their own age. And, and that was really beneficial and really helpful because, you know, as you got to your sophomore, junior and senior year, when you were expected to win, 
these big races, you knew or you understand what that took or, or, or what it took to, you know, to, to be in the front of a race and, you know, expect yourself to do that. So he was, he was awesome about that. So what, which one of the ninth grade traditions did you guys, were you guys, adhere, did, you, did you adhere to? Did you guys do the first race where you didn't get your uniform until you finished the race? Yep. Yep. We were, I, I mean, I think you, that's, that's the beauty of Mr. Newton is like everybody's treated exactly the same regardless of ability level. So we had to earn that uniform and we were running our gym shorts and our gym t-shirt just like everybody else, even if we might've been a little bit better than them. So yeah, we, we were, you know, we did everything that everybody else did. And did you both run that the summer program before ninth grade? Yep. Okay. So that was like the first full Newton training sequence? Yeah, but it was still like, it was light. You know, like Matt said, Mr. Newton was really good about, and part of why our parents were drawn to him was because he, he brought us along really slowly. And he could have seen two talented kids, and, and actually three talented kids, if you look at David Montgomery, and just thought like, I'm going to get the most out of these kids as quickly as possible, especially coming off a team that, that hadn't won a trophy um, but he recognized that that long-term development was really important and, and brought us along super slow over that summer. Cool. And then, Matt, how did ninth grade, the ninth grade cross-country season end up for you guys? It, I mean, it was super successful. We obviously, you know, we ended up winning a state championship, which was, which was very exciting. But I think the, the way that it happened was also really exciting. And like Eric mentioned, like in terms of like learning how to win, like we had to learn how to win quick at a big level. Pal- or not Palatine, Lions Township had a really good team. I think at one point they were ranked like number 12 in the country or something like that. And we run a big meet called Palatine. It's kind of like the coming out party for York, like the first big invite. And if I remember correctly, like we got smoked. Like I think we lost by like 100 points or something like that. And then I, I think we lost to them at the dual meet as well. And then like... I, th- I don't know what it was. I mean, Mr. Newton, I think, was a fantastic coach, right? And something just clicked. And, like, we got to conference, and we won the conference meet. And then it was just, like, momentum building from there. Regionals went well. Sectionals went well. No, we lost at sectionals. We lost to Lions at sectionals. Yeah, so we lost there. But I think that, like, Mr. Newton at that point has just, like, developed this, like, mindset and just, like, this, like, killer instinct. And, like, we got to the state meet, and, like, we just, we knew what we needed to do from like guy number one to like guy number seven. And I think for me, like freshman year was, was really, it was exciting to like see what I was capable of doing. The day before the state meet, I had food poisoning and I was like laying on like the bathroom floor. Like, I don't even think I, or maybe it was two days before. And I was like, I don't, there's no way I'm going to be able to run. And I remember like having this conversation in my head of like, do I like tell my coaches? Like, do I just like push through this? And like my parents, like, I think my dad talked to Mr. Kern. He's like, yeah, like even if even Matt with food poisoning at 70% makes sense, like he needs to run. And so I think like being a scoring member of that team, I think Eric ended up, I was like 70th. Eric was like 46th, which was like 47th with like a huge performance for a freshman. We were both like scoring members of the team, which was exciting. And like one of our goals going into high school was to be on a state winning team all four years. It at the time, well, I think it still is the case, has never been done at the AA level in Illinois. And so like that was one of the things that we wanted to do and to be able to accomplish that year one, sort of like get the monkey off the back there and, and be scoring members was huge for us. Okay, so you, were bo- you both finished in the top five on the team in your freshman year. 
Okay, Coach Eric, can you tell us how, what, what's the point of top five, top seven? How does cross-country work for our non-cross-country listeners? <laughs> sure. So cross-country has seven guys from each team that will tow the line. Your first five are your scoring members. So the point of cross-country, similar to golf, is low score wins. So if my five score a lower number than another or opposing team's five, then my team wins. The purpose of the sixth and seventh runner are kind of twofold. One, if somebody in your top five struggles, your sixth and seventh runner have the ability to step up and become a scoring member for that team. In the event of ties, so if my team and an opposing team score 50 points each, it actually goes down to that sixth runner tiebreaker. Sixth runner meaning if my sixth runner finishes higher than the other team's sixth runner will be the, the team, champions, team champions for that meet. So five scoring runners, but seven total who would tow the line at a big invitational or a state meet. Cool. So what would a perfect score be in a cross-country meet? Uh, 15 points. So that's one plus two plus three plus four plus five. So your, all, your top five finish in the top five, and then everyone else can't get a point close to that. Okay, cool. So we have that covered. All right. So you're in ninth grade. Any major track happenings that year? Matt ran, Matt had a good track season. I had, a, I had an okay track season. I, I ran like, what, like 436 and 950 or something like that for the mile and two miles. So super solid times. But Matt had a really, really good track season. Yeah, I, I, I ended up running 429 for the mile. And I think I, I think my PR my freshman year was 937 for two miles. So I was, was pretty happy with that. Cool. So let's hear about 10th grade. Matt, you can start with 10th grade. Cross country went well. I think we were the, if I remember correctly, we were the favorites going in. And I, we, I, we just kind of rolled throughout the year. We had some really good leadership at the top. Sean McNamara was, you know, a rock star for us. Eric and I were running well. David Montgomery was running well. Like everybody that needed to run well was running well. And I think like there was just like a, there always is, right? Just a great team, team camaraderie from one to 200. So we were just clicking on all cylinders, which was super exciting. Had a really good cross-country season. Eric and I finished 20th and 21st, which was a little bit lower than we had wanted to, but it was our first time being all-state in cross-country. And again, being a scoring member of the team was exciting. Track was a little interesting. Ran well in track. Had a really good indoor season and had a lot of confidence going into outdoors. Ended up running 419 for the mile, which I was pretty excited about. And then unfortunately my track season was cut short. I made a dumb mistake and took some Gatorades from our concession stand. And so it was caught on camera. And the next day at school, the Dean pulled me and said, Hey, that's not a good look. And so I was kicked off the team for the rest of the track season. So Matt Detman was kicked off the track team in 10th grade. That's correct. Okay. And no, no so it didn't, didn't I matter that you, that, you that you were running 429 or anything. Oh no, no, not at all. But I like to make the joke when I see Mr. Kern now and let him know that I still have a, a season of outdoor eligibility track for high school. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Cool. So, so was McNamara on the team when you were ninth grade? Yes. Yep. yep. Wasn't that his first year running? Okay. So you and you all, you the three of you, all started your cross country careers together. Okay. And then McNamara was always in front of you the rest of your career? Okay, cool. Eric, you never got kicked off the team in 10th grade? 
I did not. No, <laughs> no, no, no Gatorades for me. I had, a, I had a, similar to Matt, I had a, a successful cross country season. I finished a little bit lower than I wanted to at the state meet. We were the fourth and fifth sophomores in our class. After I think our freshman year, we were first and second. So that was a little bit of a bummer, but, I, but we ran well. And then our, during the track season, I actually struggled quite a bit throughout the year, just wasn't seeming to run as quick as I had, or well, I was running as quick as I had as a freshman, but I felt like there was a, there was a breakthrough that hadn't occurred yet. And then at, I think it was Adidas Outdoor Championships at that point, we ran the four by mile and Matt ran a really fantastic first leg and handed off to me. And I think I was in fifth and I just kind of, I just got lucky to be on that team because somebody was hurt. So I got entered into it last minute. And just told myself, like, I'm just going to go for it. Whatever happens, happens. But I've, I'm not happy with the way that my track and field season has gone up to this point. And that was a really great breakthrough for me. I think my PR going into that race was 431. And I ended up running 419 for the full mile. So that was pretty exciting. And I was, I was able to hand off the baton in first. And that really was a, a, big, a big race for me because it, I think it, it helped to dictate how my junior year cross-country season was going to go. So that was really exciting. Okay, so sophomore year, did you win state in cross country? As, as a team, we did. Yep. Okay, and and just to clarify, all state in the state of Illinois means that you finish in the top twenty-five. Correct. Regardless of your team placement, that's a purely individual measurement. Correct. Okay. Okay. Who's taking eleventh grade now? Back to Eric or no Matt? Eric, your turn. Eleventh grade. Sure. Yeah. So eleventh grade was was awesome. We had a fantastic build up that summer. We'd been doing some really fantastic workouts. Uh, we felt like we were pretty fit. And, and like Matt had said earlier, Palatine, the Palatine Invitational was kind of our first true test. And we had talked a little bit about, you know, what some of our goals were that season. And we'd kicked around the idea of going one, two, three. And I don't know that anybody in the state really took that seriously or thought that, that, that you know, there was potential for that. But I remember the day before, the day before Palatine, Mr. Kern pulled Matt and I aside and asked if we knew about this country song by Kenny Rogers called I Am The Greatest. And we were like, nope, have, have not heard of that one. And he's like, all right, well, that's your mindset tomorrow. When you're racing, the only thing that goes through your mind is I am the greatest. And we got to, I think it was about the halfway point. And, uh, you know, Mr. Kern is standing at the top of this hill. McNamara is broken away. Matt and I are in this pack. And he's just shouting, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And Matt and I just kind of looked at each other like, well, I, I guess it's time for us to go. And Palatine was really good that year. They had Glenn Morris, who'd been really successful. They had a transfer named Steve Finley. They had some other guys who were good. And, and a lot of people were talking about, could this be the year that Palatine takes down York? And Matt and I made this big move halfway through and ended up finishing one, two, three at Palatine. And that just kind of dictated the rest of the season. And we ended up going one, two, three at the state meet which has never been done before. We won a state championship with like 60 points or something like that over Palatine. So it was really, really successful. And then, you know, going into our junior track and field season, you know, we found a ton of success as well. Individually, I think I ran 414 and 907. Our state track and field meet, I don't know if that'll ever be replicated, but we went one, two in the mile, one, two in the two mile, and we won the four by eight, which was pretty exciting. So, you know, just distance kids in three events, we scored 46 points, which was pretty special. Okay, so we got a third state championship. Yep. And so no pressure for your fourth year in high school. Matt, what was the fourth year like, the summer? I mean, it was, it was a hellacious summer. We had 
some of like the most incredible workouts like just like looking back at like some of the things that we were able to accomplish as a team it just like blows my mind that we were able to like put in the work that that we did and log the miles that we did and like a lot of our track workouts like I just look back at some of that those things and I just think like how like how was that possible how did we have so many guys that were capable of like running all of these like fantastic times and like I, I I also remember just like thinking like how did we get so lucky to just have like all of this talent on one team like Sean was fantastic as a junior and there were a lot of other guys on that team that were like you know huge pieces to being able to win that state title and Eric forgot we won a national title at the end of our junior year so no extra pressure That's, as well and that was the yeah. first year that there was ever it was NTN at the time right so Nike Team National was the first the first national high school cross country meet ever. And York won it. You were juniors. Okay, no pressure. Okay. So let's <laughs> Yeah, and, and so like I mean I think adding on like Sean won that meet. I had placed fourth. Eric, unfortunately bronchitis going into it. So I think you were like 30, 35th? I think it was twenty ninth. I was in the top thirty. It was like twenty eight or twenty nine or something like that. And so I think like I mean, Eric and I, if you like looked at every race our junior year and you added up the amount of time in between us, it was like three seconds. So like you have to imagine that Eric would have been right next to me. And so like we would have been the number one and two returners at that meet. I was fourth and I assume that Eric would have been fifth. Right. So I just like just the summer was incredible. Like everybody was laying it all on the line. Like we were like ready to go to war for each other. And again, like there's just the amount of talent that we had accumulated on that team from top to bottom and top to bottom is like again like number 200 but like our top 12 was incredible and i i remember there was like talk of like could like don sage's senior year you know they scored 24 points at the state meet and there was talk like could we beat that like could we brian marchese was like incredible and like there was talk like could we do could we go one two three again and so i think there was like a lot of excitement around that like the summer building up into that senior year and I think there was talk, too, of, like, if we split those teams, could we both win trophies at the state meet? That, too. Oh, wow. You mean, like, two, two tops? Two separate teams. Yeah, because our junior year, when we'd run the four-by-mile at nationals, so they had this weird rule at the time where you could only run one team in an event. So now, like, if, if you have three teams that could, should be in the fast heat, like, three teams are in the fast heat, but they wouldn't allow that when we were our, in our junior year. But we got second out of the fast heat and our B team got fourth in the country out of the slow heat fourth in the country, our B team. <laughs> like we were just, we were loaded and all, I think all of those kids, except for one kid came back. We were just absolutely loaded. Wow. And, and, and so in your 12th grade summer to add to the pressure, then this movie crew just shows up and starts following your team around every single practice. How did that contribute to your 12th grade experience I don't think it was pressure yeah. honestly I mean we loved it it was fun you know you guys were were so good about being there but not being there if that makes sense like you know when we would do like our team dinners and you guys would be at those events like it didn't feel like you were there we were acting the same way whether there was a camera on or not or you know we'd go play golf and funny outfits and You'd be there for some of the team meetings and, and all these different things. But it just, it just felt natural. And you guys did a really, really good job. Because I think for a lot of kids, and I even think, you know, to this day, when I coach, 
and there's cameras in front of my kids, sometimes I'm like, can you, can you go away? Because you're just adding stress to this already stressful environment. But never felt like that with you guys. Like you guys were awesome about that. The only time where I was like, mm, I don't know that I love this was when you came to homecoming with us. But we told you that and you guys were like, cool, yeah, we're out, like whatever. But outside of that, it was, it was super fun. I mean, you're you know, a senior year of high school, you feel like a rock star with a camera crew following you around. I think I feel most, mostly for your homecoming dates because I know I rode in the back of one of your cars for that. Yeah. None of that footage made the movie, but I should dig it up and maybe we can make a little <laughs> bonus scene yeah. out of it. Okay, so those I know the interview. We had the first interview with you guys, which was like at your house and you were sitting in between your, your trophy shelf. That was before the season. And so what were you feeling like at that point at the beginning of the season? I mean, I, I think for me, like I was like ready to go. Like we'd had an incredible summer. I mean, I just, I, I mean, I remember thinking at that point, like I'd run the Foot Locker Championships the year before. I was like, we're going to win nationals. Like we're going to, we're going to put like three guys in the top 10 at, at NTN. We're going to send multiple guys to Foot Locker. Like we're going to win a state championship. Like we might, you know, top the Don Sage team. Like there was like all these like super positive like thoughts just like running through my head. Definitely agree with that. We were, I think we were ready to compete with just about, well, not just about with anybody. We were super fit and there was, there was no pressure. Honestly, there's no stress because like Mr. Newton was good about like, all you got to do is what you've done up to this point. And, and we'd done it all. We'd won state titles. We'd won a national championship. It was just, you know, just continuing to take care of business. And I think everybody was bought into that. Okay, so then when did it start to feel a little more intense? When Mr. Kern pulled me aside after that warm-up, and then we got pulled into the principal's office, and then everything just kind of broke loose. And then it, it wasn't, it was, it, I mean, moving forward at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't ever about running ever again. It was just about managing, I think, at that point. That was, yeah, I mean, that moment... So I'll just be totally frank. I hate the scene in the laundry line where it's grayed out and it's me talking on the track and Mr. Newton says, where's, where's Mr. Kern? Where's Marchese? And I'm like, uh, he's in the principal's office because I've always felt like I look like the snitch in that scene. <laughs> Did you ever notice how much your heart is beating in that scene? Yes. It's like absolutely shooting, I noticed that. Pumping through your skin shirt there. <laughs> I want to say it's because we just like ripped some crazy interval, but I know that had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, we were just observing it, but we definitely like felt it for you guys because it was, you know, even for Mr. Kern, it was like, there was a lot of unfairness with the way that unfolded. And I think, I don't know if all of it has been completely remedied, but I think sort of cosmically some of it has. So talk about your thoughts on that. Brian was a good friend of yours and you guys were training all summer and years before that. How did that feel just interpersonally? I mean, I think it was, it was a struggle, you know, one day you're like best friends with this guy. And like the next day it's like, and I, maybe it wasn't even the next day. Cause I remember like, as we were going through the process, we were still like pretty tight. I mean, I remember we still talked quite a bit and I think he even like when we had won the state championship that year, like he hopped on the truck and was like throwing the toilet paper in the parade. Like there, I think there was just like this like uneasy like tension of like what what's gonna happen like when everything finally breaks like what's gonna happen, and 
I mean, I obviously, you know, I can't speak for speak for Brian. I don't, I don't know what was going through his head through that whole situation. But I just think, like, for for me, it was just like. I think it was just like the unknown. Like I don't, I don't deal well in those situations, like with the unknown of like what's what's going to come of this, what's going to happen. And I think it was just like one of those things that just like deep down is just like constantly eating at you. And it just you sort of just like internalize these things. And I think I think I have a habit of like you know trying to like keep things to myself. And I think like in that situation, that was like one hundred percent the wrong thing to do. And did you talk, did to, you each talk other? to each other? I, I think so. I don't know that we like really ever like dove super deep into it I think I mean I'm trying to remember back to like you know that time period I yeah maybe you remember something more than that Eric but I feel like it was just kind of just like surface level stuff but like not Mm -hmm. like really digging into everything that was going on yeah it was more more just like like, this sucks sucks, but we gotta gotta get through it yeah I just like I mean I think like I'm trying to think of like the right way to say this I think like Mr. Newton did a great job of like just like helping people like limit distractions and so like we just sort of took on this mindset of like it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying like I'm just I'm just gonna like do my do my work and we'll figure this out and like you know unfortunately that's that's not what happened Eric you want to add anything to that no I I think that's spot on I think I think Mr. Newton was really good about like Matt said like limiting distraction but I think potentially where we needed some help was more just like analyzing what was going on and reassurance that things were going to be okay. And yeah, I think Mr. Kern was kind of good about that. I think Mr. Newton was more just focused on getting us through the season, which like at that point makes the most sense. And, you know, as a head coach now, that's probably what I would do too. Um, like let's, let's get through this and then we could figure out everything else, but let's not allow this to become a distraction because he knew what our goals were individually. He knew what our goals were as a team. Let's focus on those and, and use those to motivate us rather than, you know, focus on all this extracurricular stuff. And, and what are, how did you guys cope with the stress? Did was running your main coping mechanism? I don't think I'll say this for myself. I don't think I coped with it very well. You know, like I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a weird way, but like that moment forever changed the trajectory of my running career. Like running wasn't fun anymore because it consistently brought up a lot of those memories. And even, you know, up until recently, like I didn't really love running all that much because of all that stuff. And, uh, you know, there's some other stuff that happened and college not going necessarily the way that I wanted it to. But, I, you know, I think at some point, like we were so fit and, and Matt, you know, talks about this in the movie. He's like, we're so fit. And, and now, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to finish the season. It was hard. And, and running what used to be a coping mechanism wasn't necessarily that anymore because it just, it felt hard and, and it felt like a job. And it felt like, you know, going to these meets and being ridiculed and stuff like that. Like that just wasn't fun. So for me, like it, I don't, I don't think I coped with it all that well. And I couldn't find another outlet that, that could provide what I needed at that time to 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 relax or to not be so stressed yeah yeah i mean i would i would tag on to that i don't i don't know that i coped with it at all and i think i think like eric is spot on with a lot of the stuff that he was saying like it it wasn't fun anymore and i think part of it for me too is just like you know we had we had like put in all of this work you know not not only that summer but just like for the last four years and like we had some really big goals and like to just sort of have it all just like, you know, thrown down the drain was really disappointing. 
Okay, so now I want to just transition back to uh, ninth grade. You met this guy, Coach Newton. What was your first impression of him? Motivator. Most motivational human I've ever met. And he motivated you? Everybody. I mean, everything he said, like you feel like you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you just want more and more and more. And no matter how many times you hear the same thing over and over and over again, you want more of it. You know, he, I'm sure you saw this. He, you know, the workout on September 3rd, 1972 is the same workout you ran September 3rd, 2005. And the thought for the day was that same thought for the day. You knew it was coming, but you just wanted more of it because you were so inspired every time he opened his mouth. Yeah, I've never met somebody like that, ever, outside of him. So just a little fun fact about that, that the workouts. Mr. Noon always told me, because I was really into computers at the time, because they were like this new thing. And he always would just say, he'd have his red pen in his hand, and he'd say, this is the only technology I need. And he literally, I don't know if you guys knew this, but he would handwrite the workouts. And he would directly copy last year's workout for this year. So there are files that are year in and year out, the same workout from the same day, over and over again, rewritten for that new year. Yep. And if you watch the movie, if you see the transitional, the, the, there's title cards in between things. It has like the countdown, like 40 days till state, 20 days till state, 10 days till state. I used, I, I transposed the background is actually the handwriting of the workout. And it's also coordinated at that point of any given season. So if you look back, coaches who are out there, if you really want to know the workouts, you can pause the movie, handwrite, just like Mr. Newton handwrote, and get a decent amount of the workouts. But I don't think the workouts were any part of the secret. I'm just going to say that now. And Matt, you want to, as a coach, do you want to reflect on that, that, that comment and see if that's true or not? No, it, it, I, think, I think it is true, right? I, 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 you know, the workouts worked, right? There were long lines of success from, you know, York runners for a long period of time. But, I, but I, again, I go back to, like, the motivation side of things. And I, I look at, like, certain people in our class. And I think there's a guy, Dan Palmer, who I think is, like, a perfect example of, like, the type of motivation that Mr. Newton could bring to, like, anybody. Dan Palmer was our starting safety for three years for the football team. He was our starting shooting guard for three or four years for basketball. And he was a sprinter uh, in track. And he actually ended up winning a state title in the 400. In my opinion, like that guy had no reason to run cross country, was super successful with every other sport. Not only did he come out for cross country his senior year, he was, there was, at one point, there was thought that he could be in our top seven. Like this guy that had absolutely like no ability from a distance running perspective was like starting to put it all together. And we we're like, Mr. Newton has just like motivated this guy to just like work his ass off and get to the spot that he's in. And I think like another prime example of like the motivation side of things and like people just like flocking to that is like we had probably like 10 to 15 ex-football guys on our team who would quit the football team because they just wanted to be a part of it. They just wanted to experience the group six atmosphere, the group five atmosphere, and 
you know, Mr. Newton yelling at them or motivating them or lifting them up, like whatever it was, like everybody wanted to be a part of that. And so I think like, yeah, the workouts are important and they make a difference, but like a lot of people can write these like badass workouts and get their, get their, you know, their athletes to do them, but like getting their athletes to buy into the entire process is what set us apart, I think, from, you know, so many other teams out there. And we also, just throwing this out there, our cross-country team beat our football team in a tug-of-war because we had so many ex-guys. So that was another good reason for coming over to the cross-country team, bragging rights. <laughs> Speaking of weird challenges, <laughs> I still talk about the chocolate milk mile all the time. Which one of you ran it? <laughs> Has that ever come back to you and haunted you as a coach? Have your, have your athletes found that video yet? So I manage, I'm a manager, you know, at the tech company that I was talking about. And there are plenty of people that have now seen that video and had brought it up on a pretty consistent basis. Has anyone ever challenged you? I don't know that anybody's ever challenged me, but that's, maybe that should be like a new incentive that I have with my team. If they do something, I'll run a chocolate milk mile. with. That was one of the funnier moments of the, the whole experience. And that one guy, I don't know if his whole personality came through in the video, but he was such an antagonist. He, I mean, that was a good group of guys. Like the Nutra guys were really fun to be around, especially our senior year. Like they were really chill about so much stuff. But he just kept being like, I'm going to inherit $20 million when I turn it. And we were like, bro, not, yeah, that's cool. But we're, we're kind of middle-class folks. Like we get it. Go, let's go to White Hen. Remember when there was White Hen and get some chocolate milks? And then you guys... You, you turned him, you shut him down pretty quick. <laughs> okay, so Newton, what, what was it that made him so motivating? And, and even like you can speak outside of your own experience, maybe the experience of any of the one to 220th guy on the team. You mattered. That's what it came down to, right? You mattered. It didn't matter if, if you were Sean McNamara winning a state title or you were guy number 200 that was, you know, jogging around with a group of other people. Like you mattered. And, and I think like he talked about like the tender, loving care. And I think that like that showed for everybody, like everybody was given a nickname. Like this wasn't a situation where like, you know, there's a bunch of people off for the team, but I'm going to focus on the top 15 or top 21. Like he focused on everybody and that, that shows. And like people wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. Spot on. And, and his ability to read each individual person, I think was was pretty impressive as well. And and again, regardless of whether you were one or two twenty, you know, he understood what two twenty needed to be successful and what type of motivation was necessary for that person to be successful. He was just incredible at at caring and, and understanding each individual person. And so Eric, what what do you think his gift was? I I mean I you know, his ability to love. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but like he loved all of us. And, and you just felt that on a daily basis, every time you checked out and he used your nickname and, you know, you finish a hard practice and, and he saw it and there was something he said about that practice. And, and like Matt said, you just mattered. And, and I think that that was his ability was to, to ensure that we all saw that and we all knew that it, it's hard to put into words, but he just, he just got it. And he, he just loved us all. And, and I don't know that that's, you know, something that really any kids in most sports programs will ever experience unless they go through that York program. So did either of you as the top two runners ever feel envious of the love he was giving to the 100th or the 150th runner? No, I felt inspired by it. 
honestly, because, you know, as a coach now, I talk all the time, like it's easy to be a varsity athlete for a variety of reasons. Number one, the amount of time that you're out there doing what you're doing is far less than JV athletes. If I tell my top kids we're going to do four by mile, that's 20 minutes of work. If I tell my low-level JV kids we're doing four by mile, for some of them, that's like 40 minutes of work. So they got to be out there for a long time. It's also much easier to be a varsity athlete because you're talked about all the time. Everybody in the school knows you're the varsity athlete. People in the state know that you're a varsity athlete. You get all the accolades. You're in the newspaper, whatever. But those other kids don't. They don't get all that. They don't get any of that. So like those, But they're so deserving because they're spending so much more time and they're doing the same stuff that we do. So no, I never felt envious. I, I loved it because I was so inspired by those kids. If, if those group six kids are gonna, 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 going to do, go do 25 quarters, like, well, yeah, I'm going to do 25 quarters today no matter how bad it hurts. Matt, how about you? Yeah, I mean, 100% the same thing that Eric said. It was inspiring. You would you'd see these guys that came over from the football team that wanted to be a part of it, that bought in, that were willing to put in the work. Like, how could you not? So one of the one of the parents that we interviewed described Coach Newton, and he described this moment in a young man's life where the young man is sort of becoming distant from his father, but he still needs some type of a male role model to come in and fill those blanks where the father may not have been able to or able to communicate or was kind of too close to home. And so did you have uh, any connection to that kind of idea that, that, that when the father leaves off, the coach picks up? And did you experience any of that or did you see that in any of your teammates where Newton really kind of filled in a new role for young men's life in a young man's life? I think there was definitely kids that I saw that in, you know, like one that comes to mind was, remember Cameron Sclero, Matt? Yeah. yeah. Like he was a kid who was successful as a freshman, but didn't have the easiest lifestyle growing up. And Mr. Newton was that guy who was there for him consistently, you know, in his younger years. You know, he was, we had a fantastic relationship with our dad, but he was certainly a, a, another father figure and added a, another piece to that puzzle that, that our dad couldn't add. It, and not to any fault of our dad, but it, it, you know, it's just different when it's a coach. But I think going back to that motivational piece, like he was just, he knew the right buttons to push to, to help us to become more successful runners and more successful students and more successful people and brothers and sons and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, he definitely saw him in that light. And is there anything that Newton did that you don't think he would get away with today? <laughs> No comment. <laughs> uh, it's funny as a coach now. I like I think about sometimes like the cussing, but I do that. You know, before a race, like if my kids are going to respond to that, like yeah, absolutely, I'm going to do that. Like in the heat of the moment, totally. You know, the I think about the scene with with Nick. Like if you know 67, if 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 you don't want to run in the state meet, we'll bench your you know bench your butt or whatever. You know, some people might. Well, I, just hard. I don't, I don't mean this in a rude way, but it's true. Like people are just softer. And I think that, like, if you say that to the wrong kid, you have a parent who's going to go straight to the administrators and say, like, I cannot believe that this coach would say that to my child. So some of that type of stuff. But, but then again, Mr. Newton was so good at reading each kid that he probably would have understood that, like, this kid I could say it to and that parent wouldn't come calling. But I don't know, Matt, you said no comment, but. <laughs> I mean, I, I think for me, I look at it because I coach middle schoolers, right? So I look at it like through the lens of like, 
my middle school athletes and like, you know, obviously the swearing and that kind of stuff would, would not work. But I think Eric's spot on, right? I think like the TLC stuff, like people would understand like the bigger picture of like what's going on. And I mean, I think, yeah, people are, are definitely softer with their approach these days with some things. But I, my hope is that people would understand that, like, yeah, he may, like, swear at your kid in one minute, but, like, in the very next, like, he's the first guy to pick him up. Like, in that scene with Nick, like, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to run, like, you know, you're done, or we'll bench you kind of thing. Like, immediately after that, like, he's going up to Nick and be like, okay, you're going to run the next one on the grass. Like, we want to make sure your shins are taken care of. Like, we, we are counting on you. Like, that's why I'm harping on this. And I think, like, that's... People saw the hard side of Mr. Newton a lot of times, I think. And I don't necessarily know that they saw like that TLC side that comes um, through every single one of those conversations or at the end of every single one of those conversations. Yeah, I think, I mean, that clip with Nick, you know, that was one of the clips that we used in our sample tape, which is a documentarian term for a VHS tape that you used to put your sample on and then you would send that VHS tape. That's how old we were, how long ago we were working on this. And I think if that was on an iPhone today and it made it up on TikTok, not sure he'd be coaching after it. And I think I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's just where we are now. And I think that there was a fortunate sort of serendipitous moment in this humanity that Coach Newton came and went and he just dodged all of that. I remember specifically thinking you guys were so entitled because you had flip phones we're like, gosh, I mean, imagine if we were in high school and we could text each other. Could you believe that? And now you can, you can be live streaming each other around the world. Like that is the advancement that te- technology has, even though Coach Newton stuck to that red pen. And so now that you're coaching, there was a lot of very rich, long-running traditions to York cross-country. What types of traditions have you integrated with your teams? Well, at the high school level, we don't give kids uniforms until they complete their first race. So that's, that's one of the tr- traditions that we've, we've, we've kind of kept. You know, there's, there's other kind of fun things that we do. We take our varsity team, we travel, we get on a plane and we fly somewhere every single year. And that's really a, a trip that kids look forward to. We do silly things like every year the kids organize a day where they go to the pumpkin patch and hang out there and go through a corn maze and stuff like that. And that's just become like a really important thing to our program. We do a bunch of team dinners throughout the year. You know, so it's like a little, it's a lot of team bonding things that we really try to focus on. And I think Mr. Newton was really good about that. And, and that was something I learned from him is the closer that number 200 is to number one, the, the better that team is. Because one, all those individuals realize they're, you know, they're a part of something that's bigger than them. If 220 is, a, is a, as invested as number one, you have a full team and 220 is running around that course cheering just as loud as everybody else. But also like you want 220, even though it sounds silly, to want to be number one at some point. He may never get there and that's okay. But if he has that mindset and that drive, I mean, it's easy for the number one to be invested. It's easy for the number two to be invested. But if 220, 219, 218 and down are invested, then you've really got something special. So trying to create that environment is, has been a big piece of, you know, what we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, team banquets and team potlucks before the season, stuff like that. Like we do a lot of similar things to what we did when I was in high school. What about preseason golf? 
<laughs> there's we've done that a, a few times. We used to do we used to do a summer camp at this place called Black Butte Resort in Eastern Oregon, and there's a couple of golf courses on the campus of that resort. We used to go play golf, but not in nearly the outfits that we do now or did then. But but we try to do some other stuff like. We'll do before some meets, we'll like dress up super funky and everybody's going to wear like their 70s outfit or whatever it might be. The kids really kind of choose that. But but we'll do some of that kind of fun, different stuff, too. Is your dad still upset about those outfits? He, you know, he brings them up every chance he gets. So, you know, what's weird about it, actually, is Matt still dresses like that. No, my wife brought this shirt to Oregon. It's currently in our closet. My parents kept it. And last time she was in Chicago, she brought it back. Does it still fit? I haven't tried that. Probably. I mean, it's pretty I mean, probably, probably go try it on if it's in your closet. Oh, I might pass. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is in there, though. She did, she did bring it back. So just a little side note there. After we filmed the movie, the, 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 pretty much the week it came out in movie theaters, I started teaching at a middle school. I had been teaching before that, and I started picking it up again after we finished the movie up. And then I also started coaching cross country that year. And I tried to use a lot of the Newton techniques. And then I started to sort of improvise new techniques because it was middle school, it was much different. And one of the things I did is I started what I call entrepreneurial coaching. And I would give the kids a minimum workout. And the minimum workout would sometimes be as little as half a mile. And then I would offer them the opportunity to go the extra mile or go the extra two miles, or the extra three miles. And then we logged their mileage every, every week and every, all the whole season. We did an opening uh, mile time trial to see where they were at starting. And then at the end of the season, we did a closing time trial. And then we would just simply make a graph with the mileage. And we had a 100-mile club. So if they made it 100 miles, they got a T-shirt. So, it was 100, so they, we would track their mileage versus their mile time. And coincidentally... The more miles that they ran, the faster they got. And so those incentives were created entrepreneurially. So the kids could either choose that or not choose it. And it always, they always chose it. And so I've been integrating that in the film classes that I teach. And I just think it's a really powerful thing. The other thing is that we would always call Coach Newton every, every, every meet, or not, not meet, every meet, at once a season. He, we'd get him on speakerphone, and he would give them a 10-minute motivational talk. I got a bunch of photos of all these kids huddled around my phone with the speaker on. And it was great to just have him as an integral part of that team experience. So I'm also curious, how, what role does the movie take in your coaching? Do you show it to your teams? Eric does. <laughs> I don't know that I choose to show it, but they always want to watch it. Because, you know, I've seen it a number of times. It is hard to watch sometimes because of everything that happened. But, but yeah, like if we take a bus trip, if we go to Seattle, which is about three hours away from Portland, and, and we're riding one of those big coach buses, we almost every time we'll play it. I and mean, the kids are super fired up about it. And it's, and it's pretty awesome. This past weekend, I actually took my team to Chicago to race down at Detweiler Park in Peoria. But we made a stop at York and all the kids were talking about the long green line and taking a lap at York and they loved it. I mean, they loved every minute of it. And I think a lot of that stemmed from some of the, the, the things that I talked about, but also seeing the long green line and, and 
you know, then it was living the long green line, at least for an hour when we we're at the track. So yeah, it, 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 it certainly still, you know, has, has a special place in my heart and it, it is something that the kids I coach are super interested in. What about other teams? Do they bring it up? Yes. Yeah, we did a summer camp with two other high schools this past summer. And in one of the night activities that they wanted to do, and it ended up not working out just because of the Olympics and enough kids wanted to watch that, but, but they wanted to watch the Long Green Line one of those nights. People still talk about it. I mean, I, I still have kids who come up to me at meets and say like, oh my gosh, are you, you're the one who's in the Long Green Line. I was like, yeah, how do you know that? I don't, I don't look like that anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really incredible, the, the legs that the movie has had. Did you see the most recent? It was a Facebook post that a parent made, and then the Elmhurst Independent newspaper wrote an article about it, that there's a young, a young man, ninth grader, who saw the movie five or six years ago and decided at that point, he, he has a physical disability that makes it really hard for him to run, but the team just has rallied behind him, and he's really become an integral part of the team. Yeah, I saw that. It was awesome. So what, what kind of lessons did you bring, did you learn in that senior year season that you applied to your coaching? Again, it's a little bit different for me, like at the middle school level, right? But I think, I mean, I, I don't know from a coaching, well, I guess like dealing with adversity, right? And like understanding adversity and especially at the middle school level, like it's hard enough being a sixth, seventh and eighth grader, right? And because of the way that our program is structured, we have, you know, some kids that they may be the only kid from their school that's feeding into our cluster. And so maybe they don't know anybody, right? So it's hard enough being like thrown into that situation. And so I think just like the adversity and like trying to like figure out, maybe this is more of like a Mr. Newton thing versus like what specifically happened senior year, but just like trying to figure out like what makes people tick and like what makes them feel included and like makes them feel important in the process. And I think that's, yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's like anything else, you know, from from my senior year that I apply to the middle schoolers. I don't necessarily think that there is because that's like high level stuff that like no high schooler should have to deal with. But but I mean, I think maybe just handling adversity and trying to make sure that people feel comfortable in uncomfortable situations. I think that's spot on handling adversity, you know, navigating the highs and lows of a season, because obviously there were some incredible highs of winning a team state title, but also the lows with that everything that, that came with that, that situation. And then even more, you know, the whole, it's nice to be great, but far greater to be nice. And, you know, it's not just about being nice. It's about being a good human and making good decisions. And I think that's a big piece that we talk about a lot with our high school kids is just be a good human. You know, at the end of the day, like if you're super successful, but you're, but you're not a great human being, like nobody wants to celebrate with you. So is it worth actually being successful? And I think that stems from what, you know, the decision that some of those guys made is like, it was more important that, to them to have the notoriety or the bragging rights of doing something like that, rather than just being a good human. And I think that's, that's a really important lesson that, that we learned through that whole situation was just, you know, making the right decisions, choosing the right path. No, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, what, what Eric is saying, I, again, like it's being a good human, I think is like spot on, right? Getting a sixth grader to buy into that is really difficult. I think these days middle schoolers attention spans like 15 seconds so using like some of these longer messages you know that mr newton maybe gave us back in the day is a little bit more difficult so but but getting them to like buy into the program getting them to like buy into each other and to an extent like you know trying to compete as a team like there's definitely ups and downs of a season and and trying to get people to like understand that is is something that i like 
dabble with, but it's definitely a work in progress. And so, you know, the last four years or four and a half years in America, there's been a large movement that was fueled by the word great and the whole army of people that thought they needed to make America great again. And I always kind of leaned back on Coach Newton's laws. I always call them Newton's laws. And he said, it's nice to be great, but far greater to be nice. And then he had the other one, which was, you know, placed the power into your hands. And he said, you have three choices in life. You can be average, you can be good, or you can be great. And so I'm just wondering how you reflect on that greatness and greatness being an ideal and not so much a, an egotistical sort of gesture. And how is that in, in, integrated into your life and either your career or your coaching career? Yeah, I love that. And, and I, that's a piece that we talk about all the time with our kids. And, and we have a couple mantras on our team, but one of them is be the best version of yourself. And we talk about like, what does that mean? Because so often we get wrapped up in the results of things and we, we, we think that greatness only comes with winning or greatness only comes with you know, finishing in the top 10 of this meet or running a PR every single time. And, and that's not what greatness is about. Greatness is about all of the things that you do to get to that point. And, and we talk about like, if you, at the end of the day, when you go to bed and you're brushing your teeth and you look in the mirror, like, can you be really proud of the person you were today? Did you, did you do the things that you set out to do? Did you, did you obtain the goals that you set out to obtain? Like, did you do those things? Yes. And, and, and maybe the outcome that you wanted on that test or that race or whatever didn't, it wasn't quite what you wanted, but that's okay because that's a part of life. But it's truly great to know that you did everything you could to be successful on that day, to be the person that you wanted to be on that day. Because without some of those hardships and without some of those moments where you fall, you, know, you won't find greatness and you won't find success. But really being able to look at yourself and know that like, I did everything right today to be the best that I can be, that to me is, you know, is being great. Yeah, I think that spot on. I don't think I could say anything that's better than that. <laughs> I mean, I hundred percent agree with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I. So, Mr. Newton passed away what three years ago now, or four years ago. But he he died on my birthday, so it was a pretty intense day for me overall. I'm just wondering where you guys were and how that hit you. It was hard. I I found out via Facebook through the, I, I don't remember what, what the group was, but that was how I found out. And we'd obviously had known that he'd been sick. I mean, it was devastating. You know, it's somebody that I wouldn't be who I am today without him, from a coach, from a human, from a, from a brother, from a friend, from an everything standpoint. And, uh, you know, when you found out that, that he had passed away, you just feel like a piece of you is gone. That was like a really, really important piece in your life. Yeah, I think, I think to add on to that too, it's just like, you just like grew up around this person that you like thought was invincible and could like handle anything. And then like, you know, finally he, you passed away and it was just, yeah, it was just like, wow, this is, it's just a rough situation. Yeah. I had, well, we, there was at one point we were, we were go, the year that he announced he was retiring, we decided we were going to shoot a sort of a follow-up piece. It was either going to be a documentary sort of about the passing of the torch and through a, a lot of circumstances that sort of got some, some, some other forces got in the way that prohibited that from happening, which maybe we'll talk about in a future podcast. But Charlie Kern grabbed that torch and he's now hold, still carrying it. 
I'm really curious as to what your experience was because when you were running at York, Charlie was the assistant coach and he ran in practice with you. So what was your relationship with him as athletes and then as graduates and then now as fellow coaches? I mean, it was, first of all, it was just like incredible that like this guy was able to keep up with us on every single workout. Just like the fact that like, he is removed from college. He's a teacher at the high school and he's like putting in the work. I think there's just like that level of respect, right? That, that came with that. And just like, sort of just this like level of admiration. Like I wish I could do that. Like at that age, that's so incredible. So I think, I think the level of respect with Mr. Kern was huge, right? Putting in the work with us. I also think like a lot of, we talked about this a little bit, right? A lot of people saw like the, the like loud, version of Mr. Newton and Mr. Kern, I think was always that like really calming presence. And Eric had mentioned like earlier, there's just like certain things that he said and did that I think like really ticked with us as well. Like the, the, I am the greatest piece. And, you know, some of the other things that he would yell to us at the end of the race, like he just knew like what got us going. Right. And so I think those, those were like all incredible moments. I think in college, you know, we would reach out to him every time we were back in town, we'd go for runs, pick his brain, see how things were going, those kind of things. And so it was nice just to have a relationship with him post-college and, or in college and even post-college, you know, when York makes it out for the NXN meets or, you know, when one of their kids qualifies, we always, you know, make sure that we, we see them out here, grab dinner, see him at the meet, hang out. And then when we're back home, we always try and make sure that, you know, we spend at least like one night over at their house, just like hanging out with them. And then, you know, we try and go on some runs with them as well. Cause it's just, I mean, he was such an important piece, you know, in our lives, just like Mr. Newton was. And so I think for me, it's just like continuing just to like show that gratitude and like, you know, I'm, I may be a lot older now than I was then, but like, I still appreciate everything you did for me. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Matt's saying. It was just, it was a level of respect because it's different when you take every run with somebody. And for basically four years, you know, we did almost every single run with him or workout. And there was just like a special bond that you, that you build with someone through something like that. And even today, you know, I, anytime I've got a coaching question, Mr. Kern's the first person I call. And, and that happens pretty often. And, and more times than not, you know, I'll, I'll call and it seems like a silly question, but I'm like, I just, I just want your perspective. What would you do here? And, and he'll give me his, you know, his thought process. And I'm like, all right, well, that's what I'm going to do because because you said it and I, and I trust you in, uh, you know, to the nth degree. So yeah, he's just, he's an incredible influence. He's always been an incredible influence. It was awesome to see him this past weekend and just kind of catch up even more. But, but like Matt said, every, every chance we get, whether we're in, in Illinois or he's out in Oregon, we make time to see each other just because he was, he was that guy. And, and I think as you get older and you look back on some of those things, it, it helps to put it all into perspective and you realize how important those people were in your life and you want to continue that. And, and we, I think, have done a really good job of making that happen. So could not, could not say enough good things about Mr. Kern. I, I love that guy. And are you both married now? Nope, just Matt. Just Matt, okay. Has, has your experience with this, this co- coaching and running and this discipline, has that helped your marriage? I think so. My, my wife was a D1 basketball player, so she like grew up like in a very sports heavy environment. She played basketball and volleyball and ran track. And she, she was, I mean, she competed at, you know, the USAT. We always have this joke, the year that I won nationals for USATFs as an eighth grader, she was also on the track competing. We're like, oh, that was the first time we met. But she, she, came, she came up in a, you know, a very similar experience. 
dealing with, you know, coaches and, and competing and everything else. So, I mean, I think there's definitely things that I, I take from the York experience that I use not only in my personal life, but even in my professional life when I'm, you know, managing my employees at work. I think there's, there's, there's a lot of positives that came from that situation. Cool. And I'm wondering what else you have. So if and when you have children, is there any lessons that you're going to pass on that will still be alive and well from Coach Newton? Yeah, I mean, I think I think like the some of the things that you'd mentioned before, right? You, you have a choice. Like you have you have an opportunity to do something in life and like you can you can be great or you can be whatever it is, right? And I think I think like that's a big thing for me and that's definitely like a message that I would I would pass on. And I I also think just like the like TLC side of things, right? And like I, my hope, you know, if, if I have kids someday is that like, they are, you know, somebody that if they're on some sort of athletic team or whatever it is, right, some sort of extracurricular activity that like people are like comfortable coming to them and like look to them as like a good person that they want to be around and like get to know. Because I think, you know, Mr. Newton did a great job like instilling, you know, those those types of, you know, traits with with Eric and I. And my hope is that I'd be able to pass that off uh, or pass that along as well. Cool. Eric, any thoughts from you? If I have kids, I think, you know, similar to Matt, average, good, great. It's it's nice to be great, but far greater to be nice, I think is a big piece. You know, understanding that you're a part of something that's bigger than you, I think is so important. And this sounds silly, but but one of my favorites is be on time. And and I think that that's like such an important skill to have in your life is is to be on time and 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 I think that that, you know, correlates to so many different things because it's, you're on time because it's something that's really important to you. And you're on time because it's something that matters to you. And, and I think sometimes like with my kids, they'll show up 10 minutes late and, you know, it's like, oh, sorry. Like I, you know, I, I just, I woke up later. Oh, sorry. I, you know, I, I left my house later than I thought I lived. And well, like, well, because this isn't as important to you as it should be, because if it's truly important, you're going to make the time for it. And I, and I think that that, it's not just being on time, but it's all those other things that, that go with that. So I know it sounds like kind of a silly answer, but, but that's the thing that I really respected about him because when you're on time, it means it's important. Cool. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? This has been awesome. I mean, this is like the most real conversation we've had about this, I think ever, <laughs> honestly. Um, some of the questions awesome. you've asked. What? Yeah, I was going to say, outside of writing the story down on those pages in the principal's office, like, yeah, I think this is probably, like, the most I've talked about this situation, you know, since 2005. Awesome. It's really great to, I'm, I'm really proud of both of you where you're at. Like, this has been such a, I mean, I've been observing your journey since you guys were, what, 16? And, and I'm, so, I'm just so proud of where you've gone. I mean, I, I checked in with you guys once in college, and now we're... Well, now we are. You're in your professional careers, and you're still doing it, and still keeping in the in the running business. So yeah, so I think I'm just gonna kind of wrap it up, and then I'm gonna do sort of an ending to the podcast, and then we'll I'll give you the technical stuff on how to get me those files. All right, so thank you so much, Eric and Matt Detman. This has been really an inspiring conversation, reflecting back on the years of the Long Green Line that we've all been a part of. All three of us are alum of York High School. And we all had Mr. Newton. I was in his PE class. You guys were in his under his tutelage as coach, as a coach for so long. Anybody out there who's interested, you can watch The Long Green Line on all of the streaming outlets. 
Amazon Prime, Apple TV, YouTube, Google, all of those outlets. And yeah, it's really grateful to, to talk to you guys and to hear how this motivation and these, these lessons of tender, loving care keep on going. Real quick, has any, either of you watched Ted Lasso yet? Yes. Do you see any correlation between Ted Lasso and Joe Newton? That's, I never even thought about that, but like, that's a really good point. Yeah, like the TLC thing. And I mean, I think my opinion is Ted Lasso is kind of like unaware of a lot of things that are going on. Maybe that's because he's going from coaching one sport to a completely different sport. I think Mr. Newton is more tuned in. But just like the way that he gets people to buy in and like the messaging is like a really good like representation of like what Mr. Newton used to do. I've only seen a couple of episodes of it, but I would, I would, yeah, I hadn't, I'd never thought about it that way, but I would say absolutely, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's really a, a, a great film. And I, I really found out about the show because of Brene Brown, who writes a lot about shame and vulnerability. And she had a podcast. And she had Sudeikis on, which is like sort of a random person to be on a, a shame and, and vulnerability podcast. But she really framed it that like Ted Lasso is a character who's sort of anti-toxic masculinity. And we've entered into this era really since you guys were in high school where men are just becoming so dark and gross and insecure and weak. And there was something to Joe Newton and the core of his message where he's this big, tough guy with this big, deep, scary voice. And yet all his most effective thing was not the swearing, but the tender, loving care that he gave. And I think it's an incredible lesson that I hope that people just keep on learning and absorbing because I think it only will make our country better, greater perhaps as a way to say what it can do to our country. So thanks again, Eric and Matt Detman. This has been really, really a great conversation to sit down and connect. Eric, next time we'll get you in the green hat so that we have the team unity going on. But you have a new team you're trying to rep right now, I understand. So thanks again, everyone. You can like and subscribe in all the podcast outlets. This is the Long Green Line podcast. This particular episode will be out shortly. I believe it will be the first. Charlie Kern is going to be our next interview. Of course, I'm going to be reaching out to your father, probably your mother too, and just sort of touch base with everybody that we've talked to throughout this lineage. And then I believe at some point we are going to be releasing all of the archival Joe Newton interviews. So the, we have like eight hours of just sit down interviews with Joe Newton. A lot of people were always curious as to the X's and O's of coaching, which I always told them it really wasn't about any special workout. You put a lot of miles in and you love your, your, you love your athletes and the returns will just keep on coming. So thanks again, everyone. This is the Long Green Line Podcast. This is Matthew Arnold signing off for this episode. Thank you, the Detmans, Twin One and Twin Two, and we will talk to you all later, later, later. Thanks again to the Detman Twins for sitting down with us and having a conversation. You can find them on social media. Eric is at edetman on Instagram, and Matt is at Matthew underscore Detman on Instagram. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Long Green Line podcast. Please subscribe, comment, and share these episodes with your friends. Every time you engage with our podcast, more listeners are able to find us. Next time on the Long Green Line podcast, we'll be sitting down with Charlie Kern, who was the assistant coach throughout the filming of the Long Green Line. Thanks again, Matt and Eric. We'll see you next time on the Long Green Line podcast. You can find us at www.longgreenlinemovie.com. I love what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing.